0: Well, we're about uh, two-fifths of the way through a sermon series I began a couple weeks ago, uh, and we took a break. And I sure appreciate Tommy uh, Dever coming over and, and filling in for us last weekend. You got to meet our mission pastor, which is a good thing. Uh, but today we return to this series I've entitled uh, The Five Essential." Spiritual disciplines. There's, I think, about five things in our walk with the Lord that we really need to think about and focus on. And the first one we talked about was getting into God's Word. If we're not engaging with God's Word, if we're not spending time in God's Word, if we're not reading God's Word on a regular basis, how can we know what God wants? for us to do. We're so blessed to have multiple translations in our language. So you can find a, lang- a translation you can read and engage with and understand uh, very easily. It's just a matter of us choosing to do that. Second, we talked about the importance of prayer and that ongoing conversation that we have uh, where we talk with God and, and speak with God and, and engage Him in those conversations. Uh, I was talking with uh, one of our members this morning, and they were talking about talking to themselves. And I can relate to that because I talk to myself a lot. But our conversations need to be more than just us talking to us. It needs to be us talking to God and bringing him into that conversation and that circle of, of, of communication. The third essential I want to talk to you about is what I'm calling stewarding your life. Uh, If you put stewarding in, it doesn't seem to spell check, so I had to adjust that, you know, because I want to be correct. But uh, the short definition of to steward your life is this, to live in such a way, live in such a way that Christ is glorified every step we take along the walk, of course. Uh, the longer definition is something that many of our Bible uh, translators, excuse, Bible writers and, and, and authors have written about. There's many different places we could go in Scripture to talk about this issue, but I don't think anyone does a better job of it than Paul when he was writing to the church at Ephesus. Uh, here was a city that was filled with all kinds of wickedness, all kinds of evil, all kinds of despicable activities. So if you were going to live honorably in that culture, it was going to take... An effort. It was going to take a commitment. It was going to take time out of your life. It was going to take a mindset change in your life. It was going to be a conscious choice that he or she lived in that culture would have to do. And to this end, Paul lays out a path for it. This past uh, recently, I was visiting with uh, friends and family, and uh, they were going to watch a program they had recorded uh, on um, On TV, And it's not a program I would have ever watched, uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, It was uh, an induction ceremony to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm not necessarily against the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so I'm not up here to throw stones at them. But I'm telling you, it's not a program I would watch because it's just, it's not my kind of people, not my kind of music. But as I was sitting in the room listening, because I really wasn't watching it, I was just kind of listening in because I was involved in the moment. Uh, I kept hearing certain words, words that obviously I would never use in church. I would pray that you would never use anywhere, to be honest with you, because they were just crass and despicable. But what really struck me as interesting is as one of these presenters got to a place in the in the program, and they were talking about one of the inductees, and I don't remember which one it was, I'll be honest with you, because I probably wouldn't have known who they were anyway. But they, uh, he, he made a comment that just stuck, stuck with me, and he said, They were talking about this guy. He says, I don't understand how he has been so successful and he never uses expletives and curse words in his language. And I'm sitting there going, what in the world is his problem? I'll be honest with you. I was thinking, man, he's nuts. And I looked up and saw and I realized he probably was. But anyway, in the moment, I'm thinking to myself, isn't that a description of what we're going to be talking about today? Because the way a person can live a life of honorable speech, honorable choices in life, is not by just choosing to do it by what? Having God's Holy Spirit within us to empower us. Now, I'm not saying that all the folks on the stage that night weren't Christian, because I don't know. But I do know this. When we let God steward our lives, when we choose to be actively involved in leading our own lives with God's power... Our lives look different. And that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. What he begins with is one big commitment and four outcomes. So there's five points, but it's really one big statement and then four things that support it and give us the outcome of what happens when we do the commitment. So what's the commitment? Look at verse 1 and 2. He says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself... Up for us, and a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god, so what what 's he calling us to here? I really think it 's simply this to imitate god he 's it 's a commitment that says i 'm going to imitate god and you 're going that 's so easy patrick let 's just do that i 'm here to tell you it 's not that easy, is it and yet it 's the high calling to which god Calls each one of us who have surrendered our lives to Him. So as Paul is heading toward the end of the letter, he gets to the church at Ephesus. He he hits what I call the "so to summarize" button. You know, when you hear a preacher say that, you know you got ten more minutes probably. But but that's kind of with Paul when he'd write. He goes, "So finally," and you go, "He's only halfway through the letter. How can he be finally already? He's not. He summarizes here. He does it with therefore. He goes therefore." Get this, get, therefore, Paul says, listen, this is an indicator. I'm about to summarize some things for you that you need to hear. These are some salient points that you need to have in your life. These are things that you need to get. And I think his theme is this, what I would call how to steward your life. You know, what is he talking about? Stewarding is not a word we use much anymore. I get that. It's kind of an old, archaic word, but it really means to this, to guide, to control, to to determine your pathway, to steward your life. In a real sense, when you leave the church today, if you're the one driving, you're going to be stewarding a car. And if you're not holding the steering wheel, you're not going to be stewarding the car, okay? You've got the picture there. It's the one who's in control, one who's making the choices. Are we going to go left or right? Are we going to go this way or that way? And that's what he's talking about because he's saying this. He says, you need to be what? An imitator of God. That's a high call. That is an absolutely high calling for us. It's a simple statement, but it's a difficult directive to carry out. So all we have to do is do this, to just, oh, just be holy like God is holy. Wow. Is that easy? It isn't. But in order to steward our lives in a God-honoring manner, what better way to lay out the clear-cut decision to be made by every follower of Jesus? For this is certainly the essence of the decision. When we surrendered our lives to God, to Christ, and he said what? Follow me. That means I'm going to follow you, I'm going to look like you, I'm going to walk like you, I'm going to live like you, I'm going to go like you, I'm going to talk like you, I'm going to live like you. But for us to do that, we have to lay out this decision. Will we do it our way or will we do it God's way? See, God's way is not like our way. You all understand that. We do understand that. God is not like us. He operates in ways that we can't understand. We can't see it all. We don't fully get it. But he does give us patterns upon which to build our lives and ways to live our lives. And, and we are then called to choose to walk in love. That's what he follows. The first thought there is this part of this commitment is, oh, we're going to walk in love. Earlier I prayed about this season of life. I don't know about you, but sometimes families hard to love, aren't they? Am I the only one? We get to go have meals and hang out with people that, honestly, we sometimes don't see accepted holidays, right? And when we leave, we're going, praise Jesus, we're gone. Okay, I'm not the only one. I'm glad to hear that. But that does not exempt us from the call to what? Walk in love. To speak love. Why? Because that's what Christ did for us. He loved us. Jesus phrased it this way, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Ultimately, it's we have love for what? One another. See, the highest form of imitating God is this, to love one another just like he loves us. Do you know how God loves you? Unconditionally, completely, Totally. He accepts you with all of your wonderful and amazing flaws. And yet so often we can't do that to one another, can we? We hold each other to impossibly high standards and we don't show his love. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it? Absolutely. See, ultimately, the commitment takes a serious sacrifice on us because we have to sacrifice what? Our preferences, our wants, our desires, so that we can come in alignment with God's heart and with God's mind and go his direction instead of ours. And that commitment, my friend, will reap amazing benefits as Paul lays out in the next few verses. His first benefit that he gives us is kind of one that you go, that story you told about the show kind of illustrate yes it does the first one is this we will be people who reject the world's moral standard look at verses three to five and you're gonna go well we're gonna get into some things i hope my kids aren't listening well i'm going to be very sensitive parents don't worry he says but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of Christ and God. So with this significant commitment of imitating God laid out, there's several outcomes and realities that begin to flow into our lives and begin to show up. And the first of these is this. We look at the world's moral standard. And you're going, they don't have one. Yeah, they do. It's just not a biblical moral standard. Their moral standard is Katie bar the door. At Ephesus, they had a temple where these activities were part of their worship, okay, at the pagan temple there. This was the way the world was in Ephesus. And that's why Paul is saying this stuff listed in this verse, underlined on verses three there and following, that's not us. We have a different standard. We have a different moral standard. We would dare say we have a higher moral standard. One would think in response to all that God has done to make forgiveness and redemption possible, we would just be falling over ourselves to live for him and to live honest lives and moral lives and honest and uh, 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 uplifted lives. Instead, with Christ in our lives, excuse me, indeed with Christ in our lives, we have that capacity. We can do that with Christ. But we have to choose to do it. If you're a child of God, you have already within you the presence of Holy God, the Holy Spirit, and you have the ability to reject the world's standards. The question is, will you? The question isn't, can you? The question is, will you? It's a matter of a choice that we have to make. Paul understood that the culture at Ephesus all too well. The the temple that was there was called the Temple of Artemis. Uh, and and, and That doesn't tell you and me much unless you're a Greek uh, mythology student which you know who is but anyway this temple was the center of lewd and despicable immoral acts in the name of the worship of in the name of worship for the goddess artemis and without going into details you didn't take much to, to to let your imagination run wild and probably beyond what we can imagine and that's probably good but catch this whenever a culture begins to tolerate these kind of things within it it begins to come into the body of Christ and becomes to becomes normal and normative. I, I don't know about you. I'm I, I'm I'm not old, but I'm not young. I'm in that never never land between. Okay. But I remember words that are commonplace now being things that would get you in big trouble when I was a kid. That we just talk, and I'm talking about in the church we tolerate. It's okay. It's just a word. Is it? Now, Paul lists four vices, and I want to quickly give them, and then we have to hurry on, but there's four of them here. He says, you're going to commit to living a sexually pure life. They're going to live in the world, but not like the world. But when the standard of this area of the world becomes so low, and we begin to mimic and image and reflect the world, we begin to look like the world, we're not living like Christ. We're doing things that are immoral. Second, to reject impurity, or, or another translation for that word is obscenity. Let's face it, we live in a modern Ephesus. I don't know about you, but I, 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 I'm just to the point, I'm almost ready to, to throw the TV out the, the window. Because every show, every program wants to shove in our faces some kind of immorality, trying to make it normal. And yet we just sit there as Christians and go, oh, well, that's just their choice. It is. But I also have a choice to not watch, not participate. And that should be my calling from God, right? To rise above that, to rise above that, right? To be higher than that. Third, a decision we have to make is to be to, to refuse to covet. This is still part of these these, these ideas he's starting here. Not only was Ephesus a place of physical immoral immorality, it was also a place of extreme wealth coupled with extreme poverty. Now, when you put those together, oh, by the way, we have that in our culture too. We have extreme wealth. You know, I was I was talking with uh, our daughter and. At Baylor yesterday, about one of the friends of hers in the dorm, and they let her, their daughter, not my daughter, because is said my daughter, but they let this other girl throw a big party because they got their first bee as a family. Now, if you don't know what that's taught, I had to ask her, what do you mean? A bee? They got like honeybees? She goes, no, they're, they made their first billion. I'm going, oh my goodness, I can't even wrap my brain around a billion. And she's a student at a baptist college in texas and they said go plant a big party we made our first b and yet there are also students in schools barely getting by we have both in the world don't we and that was what it was in, in in ephesus extreme wealth and extreme poverty but the child of god says i'm going to live modestly so that i'm not going to flaunt what god gives me but i want to be a blessing to others fourth is to speak holiness not ugliness whoa we could camp here in my life for about an hour or 10 days. But our conversation and our speech, a child of God says, I'm going to be imitating God. We're going to have speech seasoned with salt, holy salt. And we won't gossip and we won't destroy others and we won't tear each other down and we won't take verbal jabs. Man, this... I got to tell you, this was a hard sermon to write. It's a harder sermon to share with you because I sure feel real hypocritical right here. It's an area I struggle with. The natural outcome of limiting these things, though, is this, a thankfulness. And God set us free from this. In fact, Paul told another church this. He said, for freedom, Christ has set us what? Free. Stand firm, then, for and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. My friend, if you're a child of God today, you have been set free from the yoke of a pagan and ugly world. You do not have to live under it any longer. But you're going to have to stand firm and stand up. Second outcome, you're going to select your inputs carefully. He says this, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes among the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are what? Light in the Lord. Uh, here's you know, There's an old word we don't use much anymore. Some of you who are my age, and maybe an older, will go, I remember that. Do You remember the word deportment? I remember being in sixth grade. Yeah, I still remember being in sixth grade, okay? It hadn't been that long ago. And I took world geography. Now, y'all know I love history and geography and all that stuff. So I made it, I'm going to tell you, it was one of the few classes, I made an A-plus in that class. I mean, I just knocked the top out of that class. But my first report card came home, and I had an A-plus in the class, but I had a D-plus in deportment. I, I, I probably made that teacher's life miserable. You know those kids? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I think you got one of mine. Anyway, they make your life you know happily miserable, okay? Because they're getting it, but you, you just want to wring their necks. But this is exactly what Paul is warning the church at Ephesus. He says, what's your deportment look like? How are you behaving? How they allow these people and the things to, to affect them? What are you letting into your life is what he's saying. Paul's big idea is this. Those people with whom you hang around the most and you associate with the most are either going to have a positive influence in your life or they're going to have a negative one. And he warns them to do this carefully. Screen them. Don't let the negative in your life because it will affect you. You know, what we do this, we'll read a bit of social media. We'll take a look at the news articles. And before you know it, we've created a pretty complete but very inaccurate picture of a lot of things in life. I'm sure you've heard the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. Paul wants the church at Ephesus to understand as a result of them committing to imitate God, they would be selective about the inputs. Now, there's a really fine line between being careful about the inputs and still being able to engage with a world that needs Christ. And so we've got to be careful with that. We can't get to the point where we pull ourselves back so far that we're only hanging out with holy, holy, holy and missing the world because the world needs us. But we also need to be careful what we let into our lives. He says, don't become partners with them. You were darkness, now you're light. A child of God has a different father than the person of the world. We have different priorities than a person of the world. We have different values than a person of the world. And in so many ways, following God changes not just some things, but absolutely everything. John said this See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. In the moment you answered God's call to follow Him, you became adopted into his family and you became his child and your actions and my actions reflect on our father. We become strangers in a foreign land, going to another place. Third outcome, we'll live our lives in the light. Look what he says in verse eight, the last half of it. Walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found In all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. For when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so he tells him to do this, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Isn't That's that's kind of the the theme of this whole series we're talking about is this walk that we're on of walking with the Lord, walking with Christ, letting Him cover us and immerse ourselves into His presence. And He makes it perfectly clear. We simply cannot live a life under the Lord on our own, but we have to take a hold of our lives and say, God, with Your power, with Your strength, I'm going to live for You. I think we have to do that on a regular basis. However... That goes exactly opposite, doesn't it? How many of us live our lives? We let our days get filled with a lot of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about just the holiday season. I'm just talking about life. We fill our lives with stuff that in the end has no eternal value, no eternal impact, no major difference other than there was a little less dust in part of the house. And we let the immediate and the pressing to take priority of the things of eternal value. And we let the things that seem so pressing right now push aside the things of God. And in the process, we live not in the marvelous light of God, but we live in the darkness of a world. I don't know about you. I think I feel that we our lives are pressed on every side, aren't they? But we can't really figure out the source. We can't figure out what's going on. We don't know really why this is, where this comes from, what's going on. And we'll find ourselves with responsibilities and frustrations and, and, and things that we have to do. But in the process, we leave God out of the center. And we're going to find ourselves in busy seasons, even with following the Lord. But they'll have meaning as we reject darkness and choose his light. Light-filled pathway instead. I'm reminded again of the parable of Jesus. I've referred to this one several times this fall. It's just been real meaningful to me. It's not a new one. Y'all know it. You've heard it. It's the parable Jesus told about the soils and the seeds that were thrown on those soils and how some seed fell in good places and some in bad places and some in rocky places, all those kind of things. Well, here's what he said about one particular seed, and I think it's the one that is probably most appropriate to you and me. In our culture especially, and probably in the Ephesian culture as well, it's the seed that felled among the thorns. You remember that one? And it came up. It started to grow. But then the thorns did what? Choked it out. Doesn't that happen to us a lot spiritually? We get choked out by all the other stuff. This is what Jesus, when he explained the meaning to his disciples, he said this, "As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but they go on their way, as they go on their way, are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit doesn't mature. I think far too many of us are like that. We let the things of the world choke out god 's presence in our lives. So what do we do? we've got to make a decision says i 'm going to follow I 'm not going to let this stuff take me aside i 'm going to be faithful." And then the fourth outcome is this. We'll walk sensibly unto the Lord. That's why Paul says this. Look carefully then how you walk. That's that's our our big word for this series, the walk. Be careful. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are what? Evil. I tell you what, the Ephesian church got that. I pray that we get that. The days are evil, folks. The world we live in is not a nice place sometimes. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He makes it explicit how committing to imitating God would transform your life and my life. You see, in this life, we weren't allowed, we aren't really allowed often to decide what we're going to face. Y'all probably figured that out at this point in life, right? You you, you don't get to choose when your parents die. You don't get to choose when you get laid off from a job. You don't get to choose when the economy goes crazy and costs go up and things are difficult to find. You don't get to choose a lot in life. But you do get to choose how you will respond to it. you do get to choose how you respond to what comes your way. A person committed to imitating God understands the ways we walk are actually fully in our control. You go, I don't have any control over my life. You may not have any control over the circumstances around you. You probably don't have any control over your spouse, really. You may think you do. You don't really have control over your children, though you think you do. You don't really have any control over the people you work with, though you might think you do, because they have their own minds and wills as well. The one person you do have control over and responsibility for yourself. We live in a culture. We love to blame everybody else though, don't we? It's their fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's the Democrats fault. It's the Republicans fault. We need to understand that the flow of life is going to bring good stuff and bad stuff, good days and bad days. But the constant through it all is this, our commitment to Christ, that he wants to carry us through. I'm going to to give you some earth-shattering news here. Your days are numbered. You're not going to live forever. Mine aren't either. So I don't get to determine how many days I've got. I get to determine what? How I live the days I do have. When, when, while we live like our days are endless, they're not. We may think we're going to live forever, we're not. I think coming out of this decision to imitate God is an understanding that says this. I'm not going to let sin become rooted in my life. I'm not going to let darkness remain in my life. I'm not going to let my life go down a road that is not going to be honorable and blessing to God. And instead, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be confessed up. I'm going to be prayed up. I'm going to be immersed in his word. And I'm going to be the one who makes the decision about where God's going to lead me in a sense. Because we're saying, God, I want your will to go where I need to go. The writer of Hebrews reminded us of this. He said, but exhort one another every day. As long as it's called when? Today. You know what day that is? Every day you're alive. It's called what? Today. Exhort one another every day. As long as it's called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In this, we will walk together as like-minded people committed to imitating God, finding it easier to be malleable to the Lord and loving toward one another. This is not on the sheet, but I've got three thoughts for you as I finish. I think there's three, three things I want you to grasp from this. The first one is this. Ultimately, you and I have to make a decision. We have to decide... If you're a child of God, you've got to decide, am I going to imitate God today? You say, well, I'm going to start that when I finish college. I'm going to start that when I finish, when we get married, when our kids come on. We'll do that then. You know what? If you don't do it now, you probably won't do it then. Now's the time to make that decision. And, and to say, I'm not going to settle for the ways of the world. I'm not going to settle for the language of the world. I'm not going to settle for the, the thinking of the world and the, the ideas of the world. I'm going to be a, a child of God, and I'm going to be a Christian because he's saved me and changes me and is changing me. So I'm going to live for him. You know what the word Christian means, don't you? Little 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 Christ. The very word we use to identify ourselves is actually the walk. This is the walk we do. This is who we are. Second, refuse to settle for the world's standard of good. If you hadn't noticed, the world's standard of good continues to decline. It doesn't take much to look very moral anymore. Have you figured that out? Have you all figured that out? It doesn't take much to look good in this world anymore because the world's standards are so pitiful. Pitiful. And yet we keep going, well, I think I can meet that standard. I want to meet that standard, not this standard. Is it frustrating at times? Absolutely. But we are called to the high calling of God that we need to aspire to. And then third, maybe you're here today and you don't know God. It's hard to live like God. It's hard to imitate God if you don't know God. Maybe there's a, an opportunity for you. To give your heart to Christ and to let Him begin to transform you from the inside out. We're going to have a moment of invitation where maybe you need to respond, maybe you just need to come and pray, maybe you just stay in your seat and pray and say, "God, I'm tired of living like the world. I want to live like You. I want to imitate You." Maybe you need to know Him. We'd love to share with you what it means to know Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the day that you've allowed us to come together to worship, to sing to pray, to consider your word. Father, help us learn to be people who shepherd our lives in such a way that you are in the center of everything we do, that you are honored in our speech, in our associations, in the media choices we make, in the life that we live. God, we've only got one life to live. And we want to live it for you. We want you to be honored in us. God, I pray for those who maybe need to respond in some way. Father, give them that faith to take a step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.